Hello, today I will be reading passages from Proverbs. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Over the summer, we have been looking at the wisdom contained in the biblical book of Proverbs. We have examined topics like friendship, receiving advice, pride, and business ethics, to name a few. All these topics have one thing in common. They're all relational. There are principles that apply to all relationships, regardless of whether we're talking about our friends, our family, our workmates, or perhaps our teammates. Something all growing, developing relationships will eventually experience is conflict. Now, it may happen between friends or at work, perhaps at church, and most likely, especially at home. Now, why do I say that? Am I just a pessimist? No, I'm just old enough to have experienced this reality and the reality that we're all flawed human beings who will eventually either hurt or be hurt by others. Now, some of you might think, well, that happens to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. But once people become followers of Jesus, we can avoid conflict. I wish that were true, but it's not. Why not? Well, look at the Bible. It is filled with stories of conflict between people who claim to follow Jesus. Why is that? Even though we receive a new identity as a child of God when we put our faith in Jesus, we are still learning how to live out that new identity. We won't get it all figured out in this lifetime, which means that the remnants of our old life, our old identity, and all its baggage still raise their ugly head, resulting in interpersonal conflict. Now, Proverbs provides a great deal of wisdom regarding conflict, and Jesus also taught us what to do when we experience conflict, especially when we've been hurt. Proverbs reminds us how difficult conflict is and its impact on our lives. For instance, Proverbs 17 verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. We all know how conflict can spoil even the most elaborate feast. Just watch any of the myriad of movies that depict family tension in the midst of beautiful Uh, surroundings and celebrations that should be the high point of family relationships, say, like weddings. Watch movies like Monster-in-Law or Crazy Rich Agents, and you'll see what I mean. Often, relational conflict starts small, but seems to grow and grow before we realize what's going on. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. Once the water has passed through the gate, you can't pull it back. You can't collect it again unless you go downstream and get ahead of it. Just as we all need forgiveness from Jesus to remove our guilt and heal our shame and conquer our fears, we also 
need to understand how to give and receive release from the relational pain that has been inflicted on us and that we have inflicted on others. Proverbs 17, uh, verse 24 says, Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. In other words, sensible people, discerning people, look for wisdom to deal with relationships and conflict. Fools look everywhere else because they believe that avoidance is the best policy. Our author, uh, Gabriel Marquez, in his book, Love in the Time of Cholera, writes about a marriage that fell apart over a bar of soap. That's right, a bar of soap. It was the wife's job to keep the house in order, including watching the supply of toiletries. Now, one day she forgot to replace the soap. An overnight, her husband mentioned, in a most unfortunate matter, I've been bathing for almost a week without any soap. But she denied that she had not replaced the soap. Even though she had forgotten Her pride was at stake, and she would not back down. For the next seven months, they slept in separate rooms and ate in silence. And even when they were old and placid, writes Marquez, they were very careful about bringing it up, for the barely healed wound would begin to bleed as if it had been inflicted only yesterday. Now, how can a bar of soap ruin a marriage? Because neither partner would say, stop, This cannot go on. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So what have we learned so far? Well, one, conflict is inevitable in this world because we're all broken people. Two, conflict has huge consequences and dealing with it is difficult. Now, the problem is we often neglect what the Bible has to say about how to deal with conflict. We understand that we are to avoid creating conflict, but we have interpreted that as avoiding dealing with conflict. Our avoidance uh, of conflict is often rooted in our discomfort uh, with conflict much more than our desire to follow God's wisdom in conflict. We're peacekeepers. In other words, conflict avoiders, much more than peacemakers. Peacemakers are people who work through conflict. Now, maybe you can relate to one of the following uh, scenes. Think about this. You're at the beach and you've just spent the last several hours building this incredible sandcastle. It has all sorts of towers and turrets and drawbridges that actually open. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You love it. Now along comes this bully who walks right through the middle of your sandcastle. And this angers you because you spent a lot of time on it. But you decide you want to do the right thing. You want to forgive that person. After all, Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28 say, A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. So, what do you do? Now, here are some bad examples of what not to do. A bad forgiver is one I call the doormat. He passively ignores the offense and says nothing. He doesn't confront the bully who wrecked his sandcastle. He looks at the sandcastle and thinks, well, I guess I better start building again. Now, the trouble with the doormat is that they always take a passive attitude. It looks sort of like forgiveness, but in truth, it's only a lack of courage. The doormat is building up resentment. It's going on in the inside. He's just unwilling to express it. 
Doormats don't forgive in any way. Instead, they allow it to happen over and over and over. The doormat thinks that forgiveness means you can't say anything. And you must let yourself keep getting hurt and abused. Now, that's not conflict resolution, and it's not forgiveness. Next, we have the rationalizer. The rationalizer looks at the bully who's just walked through the, can- through the sandcastle and says, well, maybe he didn't mean to do it. Maybe he didn't see the sandcastle. The rationalizer tries to downplay the offense and make it less than it actually is. Rationalizers make excuses for the offender. They do this because it's easier to forgive something this small than something that is big. Sometimes the rationalizer even denies the offense ever happened. The bully had every right to walk through my my sandcastle because it was in his way. It was in the middle of the beach. They make excuses instead of dealing with the offense. Enablers of those with addictions do this very well. Now that's not forgiveness either. Next we have the pack rat. What's a pack rat? He'll forgive you this time, but the pack rat can never quite throw anything away. They hold on to this act and store it in the back of their minds. Then there may be some other little act that the person does, and they store that too and never let any of them go. Then things explode, and they pull them out and throw them all out at the person. And they say things like, that's just like you. You always do that, just like this time and this time and this time. That's not true forgiveness either, obviously. Last, we have the warden. The warden says, I'll forgive you when you've served your time. The warden feels that the person must be punished and is imprisoned a while before he'll forgive them. The warden feels he must guard that prison and the offender must show that they deserve forgiveness before they get it. Now, that's not forgiveness either. So, what then is true forgiveness. What is God-honoring, Jesus-emulating, relationally healthy, conflict-breaking forgiveness? What does it look like? Now, Jesus spoke about forgiveness on many occasions. At one point, the disciple Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone who has committed an offense against us? The teachers of the law said it was okay to forgive about three times. After that, forget it. Peter, thinking he should be a little holier than the teachers of the law, said, shouldn't we forgive someone up to seven times? That's pretty good, isn't it, Jesus? Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, you should forgive more times than you can count. That's written about in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Now, I can see Peter thinking to himself, you've got to be kidding me. Now, it's the same question we all ask, I think, when faced with the habitual pain of a difficult coworker, or perhaps a deceitful boss, a backstabbing friend, or an erring spouse. How many times, Lord? What about the drunk driver, the adulterous husband or wife? What about the mugger who harmed your friend who was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or the person who abused you when you were young and vulnerable? How many times, Lord, do I have to forgive him too? Do I have to forgive her too? Do you forgive them? These are questions most of us ask. And we all wonder, why do I need to address the conflicts in my life if it's that painful? Now, from a sociological perspective, conflict equals opportunity. Dr. Ron Taves 
former professor of leadership studies and a conflict resolution specialist, teaches that few interpersonal exchanges have as much catalytic potential for good as resolve conflict. By addressing and resolving conflicts, individuals and groups of people develop internal rigor. They enhance mutual understanding. They sharpen their mandates in life and deal proactively with important issues in their lives and in our society. Humans were created by God with differences, values, opinions, tastes, and desires, and with the ability to resolve conflicts so that their interpersonal experiences as part of the human family might be made richer. Did you catch that? Resolved, work through conflict will make our lives richer. From a biblical perspective, Jesus answers our questions and protestation with a story. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35, Jesus tells this story to show what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said, the king forgives a servant who owed the king a great deal of money. But that same servant who's just been forgiven doesn't pass on that grace by forgiving his fellow servant who owes him a small amount of money. The king hears about it and is so angry that he ordered the servant to be tortured until he could pay back uh, to the king everything that he owed. And Jesus said, this is how my father in heaven will treat you if you don't forgive each other uh, with all of your heart. Now, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that the forgiveness we need to extend ought to be in the same proportion to the forgiveness that we have received. We have been forgiven of everything that had placed us on a trail to death. Not some of our debt, but all of our debt. That is what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Now, if we refuse to forgive, then we place ourselves outside of the reach of God's mercy towards us. George Herbert once said, he who cannot forgive another breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Paul, writing to the church in in the city of Ephesus, echoed this when he said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive the undeserving because we were undeserving. We grant freedom from the sin that was committed against us because we were granted freedom from the sins we committed against God. But even in doing what we know we ought to do, we have questions. To let go everything that justice demands because someone said, I'm sorry, seems too much to ask. We can think of a hundred reasons not to forgive. I know I can. We can think he needs to learn a lesson. I, want to inc- I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. I'll let her stew for a while. It will do her good. She needs to learn that actions have consequences. I was the wronged party. It's not up to me to make the first move. How can I forgive if he or she isn't even sorry? Now, forgiveness based on having been forgiven is slim motivation when we feel the pain of wounds others have inflicted upon us because we can't see the connection between what God has bestowed on us and what we need to bestow on others. We struggle with making a connection from God to us and from us to others. Now, 
Jesus understood these struggles and he recognized the practical implications of forgiveness. Jesus knew that our most human approach doesn't work. See, unresolved conflict creates self-inflicted trauma. When we do not want to address relational conflict, we say things like, it was nothing, I'm fine, don't worry about it. We downplay the conflict. We minimize the offenses because we don't want to admit that we've been hurt. Our pride or our fear become the breeding ground for resentment. Now, resentment is a lot like a crock pot, right? A crock pot used in your kitchen, it brews slowly over time as it cooks and the flavor soaks all the ingredients and then the aroma fills the house. Resentment does the same thing. It's like an emotional crock pot that fills every corner of your life. Nelson Mandela, the famous South African leader, said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. So what stops resentment? What breaks the cycle of pain? Justice? Retribution? Revenge? No. Mandela said, forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. And he also added, reconciliation does not mean forgetting or trying to bury the pain of conflict, but that reconciliation means working together to correct the legacy of past injustice. Do you want to move forward? Deal with the conflicts in your life. Forgiveness and reconciliation alone can stop the cycle of blame and pain, breaking the generational pattern of bitterness. In the New Testament, the most common word used for forgiveness means to release, to hurl away, to free yourself. The word resentment expresses what happens if the cycle goes uninterrupted. It literally means to feel again. Resentment clings to the past. It relives it over and over and over and picks each fresh scab so that the wound never heals. The pattern probably began with the first couple who inhabited the earth. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther, commenting on Adam and Eve, wrote, he said, think of all the squabbles Adam and Eve must have had in the course of their 900 years on earth. Eve would say, you ate the apple. And Adam would reply back, you gave it to me. The book of Job says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. I've watched this happen in many relationships over the years. I've watched this happen in my own family, and I hate to admit it, but at times I've played into the self-justified resentment game. I've learned only forgiveness offers a way out. It does not settle all the questions of justice, blame, and fairness. In fact, often it pointedly even avoids those questions but it does allow relationships to start to heal and begin again. Nelson Mandela stated, we must strive to be moved by a generosity of spirit that will enable us to outgrow the hatred and conflicts of the past. This happens through reconciliation and forgiveness. If we do not transcend human nature, we remain bound to the people we cannot forgive, held in their vice grip. This principle applies even when one party is wholly innocent and the other is totally to blame. For the innocent party will bear the wound until he or she can find a way to release it. And forgiveness is the only way. Not to forgive imprisons me in the past and locks out the potential for change. 
in my or in your unforgiveness, we yield control to our enemy and doom ourselves to suffer the consequences of the wrong. Author Lewis Smedes points out, said the first and often only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. When we genuinely forgive, we set a person free and then discover that the prisoner we set free was us. Now, forgiveness may be a difficult thing, but the only thing more difficult than forgiveness is not forgiving. Hope comes to life in reconciliation and forgiveness. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. If we're honest with ourselves, we all hope to have good relationships with family and friends. God created us as relational creatures, and we long to be known, accepted, and loved for who we are. When relationships are broken, we grieve. Our hearts hurt. We had hoped for so much more. Conversely, when relationships find healing, we rejoice. We celebrate, as we should. Proverbs 17.9 is a great passage. It says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. We all know that every day creates new opportunities for conflict. Now, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to create conflict with my spouse or my kids or my coworkers. It just seems to happen. And suddenly you're hurt, you're offended, you're angry, and you don't know how you got there. You're thinking, how did I get into this mess? I thought I was doing good this morning. Others, others of you are feeling pretty good about your relational world right now. You might even be thinking, I have no outstanding conflicts, no lingering resentments in my life. I've got this. I suggest that you add the word today. I've got this today to that statement. Today, you have no outstanding conflicts. I don't mean to sound like a pessimist, but I know me, and I don't think you're that, di- that different from me. I can stumble my way into a conflict faster than just about anything else that I do. Now, God knows us, and that is why the Bible is filled with guidance for us to be gracious to each other. Passages like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, which says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Or Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 18 says, Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Why so much emphasis on building good relationships? Because God knows the human heart and our tendency to assume, to blame, to attribute motive, and to take offense. You and I will need forgiveness in the future, and maybe even today. Now, Jesus understood this, and that is why he included forgiveness in his teaching on prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. You catch that? Resentment and unforgiveness block God's forgiveness in your life and in my life. The Bible says we cannot receive what we are unwilling to give. It's dangerous to pray the Lord's Prayer because we're saying, Lord, forgive me as much as I have forgiven everyone else. Do you really want that? Do you really want to limit God's work in your life that much? We need to forgive other people because God's forgiven us. Because resentment doesn't work. 
and because you're going to need forgiveness in the future and I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. We don't want to burn the bridge that we've got to walk across. Forgiveness is a two-way street. One day a man came to a, to a well-known historic preacher by the name of John Wesley. And he said to Wesley, I can never forgive that person. Never. Wesley said to the man, well, then I hope you never sin because we all need what we don't want to give. Don't burn the bridge that you need to walk across. So what do I need to do now? Well, you can start by pursuing God's will in your relationships today. That's what transformation is all about. God transforming us, which transforms our relationships with others. As many of you know, I was abused as a child. It's part of my story. Throughout my teenage years, I was dogged by guilt, anger, pain, fear, and insecurity. When I became a Christ follower, Jesus miraculously took that anger against my abuser out of my life, out of my heart, out of my emotions. I was done with it. I I was no longer consumed with resentment. I no longer focused on what I thought I needed to feel good about myself. I could now focus on God's plan for my life and my relationships. I could go down the road of healing and be merciful because of God's great mercy to me. I could own my sin and experience freedom instead of feeling and living like a victim. When I owned the fact that I needed God's forgiveness and grace, I could begin to be a conduit of grace for others. If you're focused on somebody that you resent, you're allowing that person to control you. Now, some of you are still allowing people from your past to control you in your present. If you resent them, they control you. If you continue to, the, to resent them, you, you eventually become to resemble that very person that you're resenting. Yes, that's how it works. What you focus on is what you become. Now, the good news is this. God wants to deal with all that relational garbage in your life, but he knows when you can handle it. So he takes it off one layer at a time because he's gracious. When you become a believer, a layer comes off. As time goes on, God wants to keep dealing with you, working with you, releasing you from your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and he keeps inviting you to greater health. So maybe today is another day, another step for you. Maybe today is the day you say, I forgive those who hurt me and make amends to those I've hurt. The relational garbage of my life, and God begins to recycle it and use it for good. God wants to recycle the emotional garbage in your life. He wants to bring good out of it. In the book of John, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So how do we love as Jesus loved us? Well, first of all, it's reach out to Jesus. Ask Jesus into your life. Say, Jesus, come into my life. See, you can't manufacture enough forgiveness for all the times you're going to be hurt. Human forgiveness runs dry. You need to give yourself to Jesus and his power so that daily he gives you the forgiveness you need to let go of the pain in your life until it's finally fully released. Reach out to him. He gives you forgiveness that you thought you could never have and then you can pass that on to others. Second, ask God who you need to forgive. If you have broken relationships, ask God what the first step in reconciliation should be. Maybe God will bring a name to mind that you've pushed out of the way. Maybe you know who the people are. But the place it begins is by giving yourself to Christ and then trusting him 
and walking in his forgiveness so that you can receive that and then extend that to others. I'm going to close in prayer, after which you will have time to look at some reflection questions. Jesus, I want to thank you for your great forgiveness, your forgiveness that knows no bounds, and how you've forgiven us if we've given your life, our life to you, if we've asked you to come into our lives, if we said, Jesus, come and forgive my sin, remove my shame, conquer my fear. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Take charge of our lives. And then, Jesus, I pray that we would have the courage to walk in healing, to walk in hope by engaging and walking through the conflict of broken relationships and entering into the process of forgiving others. Jesus, I pray for the courage for people who are listening to this to forgive others. I pray against the lie of the enemy that says you can't forgive because that's letting them off the hook, which isn't true. I pray against the lie that says if you forgive, justice will not be done because justice belongs to you, Jesus. And I pray that we will trust you so that we can walk in freedom and extend forgiveness to others and redeem the conflicts in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.